What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Official announcement of my retirement from football. It was a hard decision, but the right decision for me and my family. And I'm honored and so proud to be retiring a Patriot. There are a million people I have to thank. Mr. Kraft, the Kraft family, learned so much from you guys on and off the field. Coach Belichick, Give me my opportunity. I always love you for that. My teammates have gone to war. We've lost some, we've won some. You guys will always be my brothers. To all my coaches that I played under, I appreciate all your insight, all your hard work, all your knowledge. To the entire Patriots organization, from the meal ladies, to the people that clean up after us, to the people in the hallways, training staff, the strength staff. We share so many awesome memories. 
that I'll never forget. And of course, my family. You guys have always had my back. It's been the best 12 years of my life. It's a hell of a run. And I can't forget you, Patriot Nation. You guys have welcomed me and my family to a region we do not know, we didn't know. But now, I'm one of you. I'm gonna leave you guys with two words. Foxborough, forever. So this was Julian Edelman's retirement announcement that he posted all over social media. And if you're a Patriots fan and you didn't choke up when you heard that or saw it, then how invested were you into this team, into that player over the course of his career? And I know on Monday's episode, I talked about how you know it is ex- it is expected of Julian Edelman to retire and he you know didn't make that announcement when I posted or uploaded I should say episode 40 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk but soon after like a couple hours or so after that came out and I just want to kind of react about it but first welcome everybody welcome back to the show welcome to hump day's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk today is Wednesday and hopefully you're having a good week thus far and I uh, I have so much to talk about but this Julian Edelman thing is really really getting to me because it just seems like it was just oh so short ago that it was Brady, Gronk, Jules, Hogan, Amendola, LeGarrette Blunt. Uh, now they're all gone. I mean you can say what you want about LeGarrette Blunt. I just think he's a he's hilarious. He's a walking meme but like with the Patriots in the middle of a roster turnover from just two years ago, then you look at the roster last year, and now you look at the roster going into this year, a lot of players weren't on the Patriots last year or two years ago, so it's hard for people to kind of buy into the Patriots because they don't really know who those players are. Like, their favorite player is probably gone from, you know, a couple years ago, and, you know, I am victim to that. Uh, Kim the podcast and the YouTube channel favorite is a victim to that. And a lot of Patriots fans are a victim to that. And there's just nothing we can do about it pretty much since we're you know, just fans. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm not trying to sit here bitching, complain that I wish Julian Edelman was playing this season because I do, I do. But his choice, his path in life is his decision. And if he is going to retire, which he is, then you know what? All you have to do is just you know commend him and congratulate him on a wonderful, beautiful career, a very successful career. And you just have to be thankful for it, that you were able to watch and witness what he was able to do over the course of his career. I certainly am. And when Brady left, I was thankful and appreciative that I was able to witness the greatest quarterback, arguably the greatest athlete of all time in sports. And then once he officially retires, Brady, when that time comes, you know, those emotions will just kind of kick back in again because he is done with the game. So I still get to enjoy Brady because he's still playing, although for a different team. But with Julian Edelman, he's just done. He's not going to another team. He's not going to play anywhere else. He was a Patriot, and that's it. So absolutely incredible career. And I kind of want to highlight 
some career plays that Julian Edelman have, or had, I should say, by giving you my top five Julian Edelman moments throughout his whole career. Now, a lot of these are predictable, but I mean, they were massive events that happened. And maybe number five, not so much, but it's just something that sticks out to me. So let's start off with number five. Number five, punt return touchdown for his fourth career touchdown return against the Broncos on Sunday Night Football back in 2014. Some of you may remember that game, some of you may not, but it was a crazy game. Patriots had a a phenomenal outing against uh, Peyton Manning and those Denver Broncos. What really stands out to me is because I was at a bar before a concert and there was a bunch of Patriots fans at that bar to watch the game. But, you know, I was just there trying to get some food before the show. And quite frankly, I forgot that the Patriots were on. I just had so much going on that day. And unfortunately, the Patriots were on Sunday night. So I was able to kind of watch the game at the bar. And little do I know, you know, Denver punts the ball. Julian Edelman fields it. And he returns it all the way for a touchdown for his fourth career touchdown, which was a uh, record at that time for Julian Edelman and the Patriots, but it's just something that really sticks out in my mind because just the emotions of the bar, people at the bar seeing the uh, the game and that return, how that was such a momentum shifter against such a high-powered Broncos offense and defense at that time. So just something that's really always going to stand out to me and something I always look back on because, you know, in 2014, that was a massive shift um, in terms of the dynasty, right? Because the Patriots hadn't won anything, or for 10 years at that point. So in 2014, when they would eventually win against the Seahawks, I feel like this play by Edelman or this punt return by Edelman is kind of one of those that really stands out and you remember. Number four, uh, Julian Edelman's performance in Super Bowl 53, where he won MVP honors. Now, it's not a specific moment. It's the game in general. I mean, that game was really... uh, It was a slow-paced game. It was a very defensive-heavy, defensive-orientated game. But at the end of the day, the Patriots had to execute on offense to a degree, whether it was Sonny Michel's touchdown run or the two field goals that Steven Guskowski had to put the game out of reach against the Rams. Uh, Edelman had 10 receptions for 141 receiving yards. I look back at Super Bowl 51 and Super Bowl 49, where both James White and Shane Vereen had... 13 or so catches, uh, Vereen in Super Bowl 49 and White in Super Bowl 13, where Brady just didn't go off throwing for 350, 400 yards and four touchdowns in both of those games, then <laughs> those two guys probably would have won MVP those years. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is a quarterback's league, and quarterbacks usually kind of walk away with those high honors. Not in. Brady didn't really have that great of a game, but he was able to connect with Edelman a bunch of times, and Edelman was a huge factor for the Patriots in that Super Bowl. And if it wasn't for him, I mean, could the game have been different? I mean, would have Brady found a different target? Would he have utilized somebody else? Would we have even won? So I really think that whole performance where he won Super Bowl MVP was very deserving for Julian Edelman and something that really will stick out to me. And Patriots fans, I will never forget. But number three, it has to be, has to be his go-ahead touchdown in Super Bowl 49 versus the Seahawks. Yes, if anybody remembers this play, it was when the Patriots finally took the lead against the Seahawks in the fourth quarter after being down 10, you know, basically throughout the whole fourth quarter. Um, If anyone doesn't remember, it was at the goal line 
where Julian Edelman kind of cuts in. He was on the left side of the field. He cuts in, but fakes that route and cuts out. So it's a zig route, and Brady just hits him at the goal line. He catches it, and he just kind of walks right in for a touchdown. Fun fact is that they tried to run that play earlier in the game. I'm not too sure how early. Maybe the third or second quarter. I don't remember. And Brady... And I don't want to say overthrew him, but it wasn't a uh, good throw. It wasn't really catchable because uh, the defense was, you know, on Julian Edelman. I don't remember the cornerback that was on him, but, you know, good defense, not the best throw. Was it catchable? Probably not. But, you know, when you look back at the DVD where they kind of break things down with, like, you know, commentary from mic'd up players, Edelman goes up to Brady and is like, let's run that play again. It's going to work. Something on the lines of that. And that's just such confidence and just optimism and high energy at the highest stage in basically all of sports for a play to fail, but like, let's go back to it. It's going to work. And at the end of the day, that touchdown was the difference for the Patriots in Super Bowl 49 against the Seahawks, where they would end up winning 28 to 24 with the Malcolm Butler interception at the opposite goal line um, against Russell Wilson. So number three, that go-ahead touchdown in Super Bowl 49 versus the Seahawks. And number two, number two, anybody, if anybody is anybody, they have to remember this. The double pass from Brady to Edelman to Amendola versus the Ravens in the 2014 divisional round. Yes, so same year as number three and number five, but yo, Patriots were down 14, two touchdowns twice in that game. In that divisional round against the Ravens in Foxborough. And, you know, the Patriots had to pull a couple tricks out of their bag. And they certainly did. You know, Brady takes a snap, throws it back to Edelman. You think it's a screenplay, so the defense kind of, you know, approaches to go make the tackle. But nope, that old quarterback in uh, Edelman just flicks his wrist down the field to an open Amendola for like a 50 or so yard touchdown. Absolute momentum shifter. A beautiful design play. And that was something that really energized and lifted the Patriots up to perform to eventually win the game against the Ravens. So number two is the double pass against those Ravens in the 2014 divisional round from Brady to Jules to Amendola. And if you haven't guessed number one yet, then you got to go watch some highlights or just watch the game over again. But the Super Bowl 51 catch versus the Falcons. Oh, do I have how, how much do I need to talk about this? Patriots down 28 to 3. Oh, they have no chance. Next thing you know, it's 28 to 9. It just kept going and going and going. And it's like, hold on. Patriots have a shot here to win this game. And without everything going right in that game after they scored their first touchdown late in the third quarter, they're probably not winning the game. And on the other end of things, you know, the Falcons did just about everything wrong. They couldn't protect the ball. They couldn't play any defense. They couldn't stop the Patriots. But with all that in consideration, it has to be that catch, though, that really stands out. Now, you can argue that the Dante Hightower strip sack fumble, you know, where the Patriots recover it, you could argue that play is probably the biggest play of the game. Sure. But honestly, without that catch, Brady turns the ball over. Um, because that easily could have been an interception. Or maybe the ball's just simply dropped. And then they have to kind of go back at it again and make another play happen. But with the Hightower strip sack fumble, you know, 
Matt Ryan, you know, maybe gets it away, throws it incomplete, stop clock, okay. Or he just sacks him, clock keeps running, and they're out of field goal range. So it's just so much that could have went wrong or right, depending on how you look at things. But if Edelman doesn't catch that ball, say it's intercepted or incomplete or whatever, do the Patriots march down that field to get that last touchdown? I don't know. And for those who may not remember, you know, Brady tries to throw the ball over the middle of the field, like 20 or so yards, 20, 25 yards downfield, I believe. And I don't know which uh, Falcons defensive back, but he kind of jumps up and the ball is a little too high for him. So he like tips it up in the air after failing to intercept it. Ball goes up. Julian Edelman dives for the ball. And there's two additional Falcons defensive backs that go in to try to either pick it off themselves or just make sure that that ball hits the ground. Edelman gets his hands under it but doesn't get a clean grip, kind of bounces out of his hands, and then he goes in and grabs it again to secure the catch. A huge, huge play in the game. The game kind of stops. They have to review it and make sure it's a clean catch. Falcons are saying, no, 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 it dropped. But when you look at it on the big board and on a replay, that ball was nowhere. It was close to the ground, don't get me wrong. But when you slow it down, it was a catch all the way. And to me, and to a lot of Patriots fans, that is my number one moment or memory for Julian Edelman throughout his whole career. And without any of those memorable moments that I just mentioned, do the Patriots even you know, have the success that they, that they did? The Patriots probably would have still won that game if he, if he didn't return the touchdown. Um, that punt return touchdown against the Broncos, which was my number five point. But, you know, if he didn't, you know, get 10 receptions and 141 yards, did they win against the Rams in 50, uh, Super Bowl 53? If he if he doesn't catch that zig route touchdown, do they win Super Bowl 49? That double pass, do they even beat the Ravens? And if he doesn't catch the ball, do they beat the Falcons? So a lot of these points kind of brings me to my next topic about Julian Edelman and is he a Hall of Famer or not? Now, last episode, I said that he could. I don't think he will, but he could. And I think those t- five moments that I had for Edelman, those top five moments that I have for Edelman, are good reasons and arguments why. Four career touchdown, uh, return touchdowns, so it shows the special team's versatility. He won a Super Bowl MVP, scored a go-ahead touchdown. Uh, Mass made a, a huge play against the Ravens. And obviously, Super Bowl 51 catch, along with being the second, uh, has the second highest receptions in the playoffs behind Jerry Rice, which I mentioned last last episode. And along with his regular season t- statistic, which, yes, may not all be too great, but they're still really good and something you need to you know take into consideration. Now, a lot of people are comparing him to Heinz Ward and uh, Donald Driver, who both aren't in the Hall of Fame. Though they both had great careers themselves, but neither of them had the success that Julian Edelman did. And I'm talking about postseason success here. Uh, you know, Heinz Ward didn't have the kind of playoff success that Julian Edelman did, but he is fourth on the playoff reception list. So that's there for him. And I understand the argument of why he's not a Hall of Famer, and I'm not going to argue against it. Because it's a good argument, it's a good case that he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. 
But to completely say that, oh, he has no case, oh, he has none of this, absolutely not, I think is outrageous. I think for the stats that he has, the playoff stats, championships, plus the MVP, being a versatile player in terms of being a wide receiver and a returner, plus if you want to throw in a little defense for memes, sure, plus the amazing plays and catches that he made throughout his whole career, whether it was in the regular season or the postseason, but specifically the postseason, I think it warrants a good discussion, okay? It absolutely warrants a discussion, whether it's a good long one or a quick short one. There's a discussion to be had, and in five years, I think it will be looked at again. Like I said, do I think he'll make it into the Hall of Fame? No. Could he? Maybe. We'll just have to wait and see. But definitely comment down below on YouTube if you're watching there, or reach out to me on Twitter or on Instagram if you're listening on audio-only platforms. Tell me what are your top five memories or moments of Julian Edelman throughout his career, and do you think that he is a Hall of Famer? Yes or no? I want to hear it. I want to see what other people are thinking about. But with all that being said, what a wonderful career Julian Edelman has had. He is definitely going to be missed, and the Patriots are going to have to potentially alter their draft plan. Would Julian Edelman now retire? Now, do they go after a wide receiver in the first round, move up to get one? Who knows? We will have to wait and see. Transitioning from Patriots, football, Julian Edelman, let's talk about the Boston Bruins. Oh my, okay, so granted it's against the Buffalo Sabres, so they're supposed to win. Not in uh, not in overtime or in shootout, but just in general, They, but whatever. They won 3-2 to two against the Buffalo Sabres in shootout. It was huge points to get against a trash bag team because if they didn't get two points, then, oh my god, it's it would be abysmal if they didn't walk away with two points. Now, the one point going to the Sabres does not matter because the Sabres are not even remotely in the playoff hunt at all. So does it really matter? Absolutely not. But for the Bruins, these two points are massive. Uh, let me just dive into it a little bit more. Jeremy Swayman gets the start in that again where he saves 21 saves on 23 shots. He looked really good in overtime and in shootout. I think I love this kid. Like, I'm serious. Like, he is the guy that the Bruins need to have in net moving forward. I don't care about Halak when he comes back. I don't care about Tuka when he comes back. I want Swayman in net. It's just plain and simple. This dude just made spectacular saves and he looks so much more confident and, you know, poised. He's a, yes, he's a wild goalie sometimes, you know, where he kind of shifts around very, you know, freely, but he's, you know, kind of, you know, tuned it into like a really uh, stellar form of what a goaltender should be in terms of being like locked down, you know, moving from pipe to pipe very cleanly and, you know, being able to bounce back up if, you know, you're laying on the ground, on the ice or whatever. I think he's really improved from his um, debut to now. And in shootout, he made two fantastic saves. It's just everything is going right for this kid right now. Everything's going right for the Bruins uh, as of now, at least in terms of goaltending. I mean, Dan Vladar is still, you know, tough, you know, tough conversation to have. But we're definitely going to see Dan Vladar in the near future, but I'll get into that in a few moments. 
let me talk about the game from the Bruins. So we saw goals from both David Krejci and Craig Smith, where Smith actually assisted on Krejci's goal. Uh, Smith, bleh, 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 bleh. Smith's last 12 games, he has four goals and nine assists for a total of 13 points. That's over a point per game average. And for someone like Smith, he's kind of come out of nowhere. And it's been a really nice surprise to get production for someone like him where we didn't really expect to see production from, you know, a player 10 years into the, in the league, coming over from the Nashville Predators, brand new team system, all that good stuff. But he's producing well and he's playing in your tops. He's playing in with your top six forwards. I mean, we saw him on the first line with Marchand and Bergeron last night, and we've seen that in the past. But we never expected to see this kind of production from him, nor did we actually see it earlier in the season. So Craig Smith's last 12 games has been huge for the Bruins, and he's really deserved uh, a spot on the top six uh in the top six forwards on those two, uh, first two lines, whether it's on the first or the second line. But it is definitely a huge, it's a great, great treat to have. So you don't always have to rely on Marchand, Bergeron, Pasternak, Krejci, you know, whoever. You have someone else that you can go to. Now you have Taylor Hall as well. So the Bruins top six forwards, those two lines, looking really, really good. But like I said, this game was against the Buffalo Sabres. It, it was a should-have-won kind of game. But like I said, they won it. They got the two points. The one extra point, the pity point, doesn't matter for the Buffalo Sabres because they are long out of it. But it's just good to see the Bruins really hone in, buckle down, and take care of business. But speaking of business, let's talk about the next three games coming up for the Bruins. Three massive Games coming up for the Bruins where you have a back-to-back with the New York Islanders starting tomorrow, Thursday, and then on Friday, (laughs) both home, don't worry about that, they're both home, but they're against the Islanders and that's going to be tough. Those are four massive points right there, but then on Sunday, on Sunday, you get to welcome back in the Washington Capitals. This is a monumental set of games for the Bruins in terms of any hopes of moving up in the standings. Any hope. Because right now, as we look at the standings, they're still 10 uh, 10 points behind the Capitals. They're 8 points behind the Islanders and only 6 points behind the Penguins. These These are points that they need to get and they cannot give pity points to the opposition here. They can't. So I'm going to go over three things that I'm looking forward to with these three games that the Bruins have coming up. Number one is I'm looking for the offense to take the next step with Hall on that second line as he gets settled in and playing meaningful hockey games. So before, he's always been on trash bag teams, the Sabres, uh, the, why can't I think of it? The Arizona Coyotes being in the playoffs last year um, in that weird expanded thing. Does that count? Maybe, maybe not. But them, and then when he was with the Devils for a little bit. So he's never really played meaningful hockey games. So let's see how he can perform when he actually has to play serious, intense, you know, win-or-die hockey games against elite talent, such as the Islanders and the Capitals this year. 
Number two, can the Bruins defense rise to the occasion and play three stellar games of defense, stopping two high-power teams such as those Islanders and Capitals? The defense has you know, been very inconsistent in terms of shutting down the opposition or just being an absolute floodgate. Hopefully with Mike Riley now on your top four uh, pairing of defense, hopefully that can kind of help as games kind of go on, the days go on, hopefully you can get healthier. But, you know, having that back-to-back against the Islanders and then the Capitals coming into town on Sunday, it's going to be very, very intriguing to see how well the defense plays in all three games. Will they rise up to the occasion or will they crumble? We're just going to have to wait and see. And then the third point, can Swayman stay hot? Jeremy Swayman is probably going to start two out of the three games on the Thursday or the Friday game and then probably back again on Sunday where Dan Vladari is going to have to start one of the games that Swayman doesn't start on the back-to-back against the Islanders on Thursday or Friday. So whichever game Swayman starts, expect to see Vladar in the other game. And what I want to see is can Vladar bounce back from his eight-goal game against the Caps. Because <sighs> he's going to have to play in one of them. Unless Tuka or Halak can magically you know, get healthy again and start one of those games on Thursday or Friday, we're going to have to see Vladar because Swayman's not going to play back-to-back and then come back and play again on Sunday. You're just going to tear him and just beat him into the ground where you're going to be so fatigued and exhausted come uh, the playoffs, which we kind of saw Halak because Halak was playing night in, night out, every day of day, you know, back-to-backs, whatever, in the playoffs. And, you know, you saw how that kind of affected him in his play style. So, can Swayman stay hot against the Caps and the Islanders? And can Vladar have a bounce-back game when he plays against the Islanders, the Islanders in one of those games? Those are my three points. Those are the three things I'm looking forward to as the Bruins play this huge, monumental set of games over the weekend. Um, come Monday's episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk, I'll kind of go into you know what's ahead after that, after I'll break down Thursday, Friday, and then Sunday's game against the Islanders and Capitals. <sighs> my goodness. You know, this is the time for the Bruins to really, you know, kind of take that next step as they make a push for maybe that third seed, and if they're lucky enough, maybe the one of the top two seeds. But at the end of the day, we're just going to have to wait and see. We're going to have to wait and see. So I kind of talked about how the Bruins, you know, starting to get hot a little bit. Jeremy Swayman's certainly hot. Can they stay hot? But let's talk about a team that's absolutely blazing hot, and that is your Boston Red Sox. I cannot believe I can finally say the Red Sox are good again, and hopefully they're here to stay good, and holy crap, were they disrespected. They completely were disrespected, and here's why. Here's why. MLB, Major League Baseball, released power rankings on Monday, and I was going to talk about this on Monday, but you know we were talking about so much stuff, I kind of forgot about it, so I'm going to address it now. So... <clears throat> In those power rankings, all 30 teams are listed from who's the best and the hottest and then who's the worst and the suckiest, right? (sighs) Now, at the end of the day on Monday, I don't know when the list came out, 
but Monday it came out. Let me just go bring up the Red Sox real quick. Um, schedule. Let's see, Monday, Monday, Monday. Yesterday was Tuesday. Okay, so they didn't play on Monday. They just came off of their sweep against the Orioles where they won six in a row at that time. Okay? So they didn't play on Monday. And MLB releases their power rankings where they have the Sox 20th, 2-0, in the bottom third of the league. The bottom third of the league, 20th. That's disgusting. That's absolutely horrendous and disrespectful. Now, granted, granted, they did lose three in a row to open the season against the Orioles. Okay. Then they come back and sweep the Tampa Bay Rays. And they go to Baltimore to sweep the uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Now, call it what you want. The Orioles suck. The Tampa Bay Rays aren't all that good. Right? But a lot of people think that they still have what it takes to be a playoff. Oops, sorry, I just hit my mic. A playoff team. I think they have what it takes to be a playoff team. But the Rays got swept by the Red Sox. And MLB has the Tampa Bay Rays ninth. Ninth on their list. After getting cleanly swept 11 to 2, 6 to 5, 9 to 2. They gave up. So many runs that weekend, and they didn't really score that many runs. Or not weekend, you know, early in the week. You know what I'm trying to say. Oh, it's just unbelievable. Um, I'm about to go over a couple of teams who are in front of the Red Sox. And I'm going to say their records at the time as of the end of the day on Tuesday. Okay, so I know the list came out on Monday, but I can only go... Look at the records as of the end of Tuesday. So the Sox are behind the Oakland Athletics, who were 5-7 and seven at the end of Tuesday. The Boston Red Sox were behind the Chicago Cubs, who were 4-6 and six at the end of Tuesday. The Toronto Blue Jays, 4-6 and six at the end of Tuesday. And then, like I said, the Tampa Bay Rays, who are ninth on the list who were, um, they're 5-6 and six right now. I don't, I don't know what they were on Tuesday. I, I didn't jot it down. Uh, so let me go over all 30 teams in the power rankings, okay? Number one, Los Angeles Dodgers. Number two, San Diego Padres. Number three, New York Yankees. Number four, Minnesota Twins. Number five, Houston Astros. Number six, Atlanta Braves. Seven, White Sox. 8, Cincinnati Reds. 9, Tampa Bay Rays. Number 10, the New York Mets. 11, the LA Angels. 12, the Toronto Blue Jays. 13, the St. Louis Cardinals. 14, Milwaukee Brew Crew. 15, the Philadelphia Phillies. 16, Washington Nationals. 17, the Oakland Athletics. 18, Chicago Cubs. 19, um, Cleveland Indians. And then 20th, your Boston Red Sox. And then the trash bag of the league. 21, the Kansas City Royals, 22, San Francisco Giants, 23, Marlins, 24, Mariners, 25, Tigers, 26, Orioles, 27, Diamondbacks, 28, Rangers, 29, Rockies, and 30th, Pittsburgh Pirates. I don't get it. 
you're putting the Boston Red Sox in the class or in the group with the worst teams in the league. Now, I guess you could say that they're in the middle class because it'd be 1 through 10, 11 through 20, 21 to 30. But to put the Indians, the Cubs, the A's, the Nat, like all these teams in front of them, the Blue Jays and the Rays, who at the time of this power ranking being released, were in front of them in the standings and still currently are. I mean, the end of Tuesday. The Orioles, 5 and 6. Yankees, 5 and 6. Blue Jays, 5 and 6. Rays, 5 and 6. All two and a half games back from your Boston Red Sox at the end of Tuesday. Now, today's Wednesday, and everyone else is going to be playing. Quite frankly, actually, the Ray, uh, the Red Sox are up 3 nothing on the Minnesota Twins, who are 4th on the power rankings. And, oh, wait, the Red Sox beat the Twins yesterday. Huh. Now, I know this list came out on Monday. Don't let me get it twisted. But this list is absolutely disrespectful. It completely is. And I know they played six games against the Orioles, who are 26. I know. I know. But they cleanly swept the the Rays, who are ninth on this list. And they won every game that they won, except like one, convincingly. Uh, let me go back to 11-2 against the Rays, 6-5, close game against the Rays, 9-2, 7-3 against the Orioles in Baltimore, 6-4, then 14-9. I know the Red Sox pitching isn't all that great. I understand that. The Red Sox bats are really alive right now. And I understand that everything needs to be taken into consideration. When the Red Sox are giving up 5 runs, 4 runs, 9 runs... Earlier in the season, 11 runs. I get it. I just had to get all that off my chest because, honestly, I don't expect the Red Sox to be in the top five. But, like, give me 10, 11, 12. Give me that. Seriously. Now, when this next list of power rankings come out, if the Red Sox keep playing the way that they do, with maybe a little bit of regression... I could see them, and they better be in the top five. (laughs) They should be, because right now, right this second, they have the highest winning percentage in the American League at 700. And in the National League, you got the Dodgers and the Padres, both better than them. But, you know, that's understandable, because we expected those teams to perform the way that they are. So... I can't wait for the next power rankings to come out because this one was terrible and it was disgusting. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the power rankings are. It matters what the scoreboard says and the scoreboard is favoring the Red Sox. It seems like night in and night out. So let's go Sox. Speaking of a team that is trying to get their scoreboard um, in favor of them is the Boston Celtics. Now, I don't want to talk too much about the Boston Celtics because I didn't watch the game last night. I did catch some highlights because, oh, I mean, 10 o'clock games. They're so hard to stay up and watch because I'm in bed by like 10, 1030. I'm crashed. So (laughs) let me just go over a few points real quick. And Celtics last night beat the Portland Trailblazers in Portland 116 to 115 last night. Absolutely great win against a great team. Overall, it was a team effort to really pull that game out. And like I said, I watched the highlights. 
it was just a really good team win. I don't think any one player outshined one another that you wouldn't expect them to. You didn't see a lot of selfishness from the Celtics last night. And at the end of the day, they got the win. And it was a close game against a really good uh, Trailblazers team that <clears throat> I wouldn't say you had to have win. But I did say that the uh, Celtics do need to win two out of three of these West Coast games. They have now won two of them. So they have met my expectations and they are currently on a four-game winning streak. But like I said, two out of three games on that West Coast trip, they have a chance to sweep it. They have a chance to sweep that three-game West Coast trip to give them a lot of momentum as they come back home and have a good homestand coming up. But they have the ultimate test in front of them, and that is against the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, say what you want about the Lakers this season, LeBron or no LeBron. The Lakers are fifth in the West. Yes, they may be seven games out, but they are a team to take seriously. They have a lot of firepower on that team, like I said, with or without LeBron. And you need to stand strong against them. Show us you can dance with the Lakers. Now, even if they win and LeBron doesn't play, people are going to be like, oh, they beat the Lakers without LeBron. They can't beat them with, uh, with LeBron. Okay, maybe. True. But... This win, if they win tomorrow, would be much more meaningful than just beating the Lakers without LeBron. It would show us five-game winning streak. Three games, three wins on the West Coast. A lot of momentum coming back home for a team that has really struggled to find consistency. We need the Celtics to start having that consistency. And if they can win tomorrow in Los Angeles, that would show us that consistency. Their offense is starting to look good. Defense is starting to look better. But at the end of the day, I ask you this question. Do we take the Celtics seriously? They are currently in the fifth seed. And they're still one game back from the fourth seed where the Atlanta Hawks have been for some time. Say what you want about the Hawks, but they're pretty good. They're pretty good. It's only a one game difference. But still, do we take the Celtics seriously? Let me know. Tweet at me, DM me, whatever. Uh, Drop your opinion down in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube. Do we take the Boston Celtics seriously? Currently on a four-game winning streak. They have the chance to go on a five-game winning streak if they can beat the uh, Lakers tomorrow. If they do or they don't, could we still take them seriously? I want to hear your thoughts and opinions about this because me personally, I'm starting to. I am. It's been a long season of up and downs, up and downs. But we could potentially start taking the Celtics seriously if they can keep this going. With all that being said, they could easily, like that, go back to being an inconsistent trash bag team where they're down at the 78th seed. The Eastern Conference is so tight. The Hawks... The Celtics, the Heat, the Hornets, and the Knicks are all separated by two games. All separated by two games. Four, five, six, seven, eight. All separated by two games. So they could go on a small little losing streak and be right at the bottom of the playoff picture. So these four games, potentially, hopefully, five-game winning streak is going to mean so much. And the four-game winning streak so far has meant so much for the Boston Celtics because they need this. They need this. Speaking of needs, 
I need MLB The Show 21 to come out, like now. <laughs> I can't wait for that game to come out, and quickly just going to transition to MLB The Show. Um, I haven't really been making a lot of content with the game MLB The Show 20, because 21 is coming out, and it's on the horizon. Um, I really haven't made a lot of videos on YouTube over on my YouTube channel because the game, the new game is coming and I really want to double down and make a lot of content there. I've been waiting a long time for this game to come out, especially with it being delayed until April where it was supposed to come out back in early March, I believe. So I'm just really anxious waiting for the new game to come out and I can't wait for it to come out. Definitely go subscribe and ring the bell for notification over on my YouTube channel because there's going to be a lot of YouTube exclusive content releasing over there with MLB The Show, vlogs, um, dumb fun things that Kim and I do, which I know you guys love her. So head over there to stay up to date and stay recent with everything that I'm going to be dropping over there. I cannot wait for MLB The Show to come out. I'm super excited for it. It needs to be here now so please excuse the lack of home run derby content um recently <laughs> and speaking of something recent i did move my studio um like yesterday speaking of recent i moved it upstairs so we have the first floor second floor and a basement in our place and i moved my studio upstairs into the office i guess we turned one uh, kim and i turned one of the bedrooms in our house to an office so now her and I share a workspace. And as I'm recording this right now, she is not there. <laughs> She's at school right now. So hopefully, and it will work between me recording my podcast, you know, editing YouTube videos and such, and her doing her own thing with school and such. But I'm very happy to be upstairs. I have a window to look out at. I have my cat to look at as she currently cleans herself. Um... <laughs> But I'm not in the dark abyss of my basement um, where I get to not look out a window and I have to rely on electricity for light where up here I don't have to. I loved my studio downstairs. It was nice, peaceful, quiet, but it was cold and dark. And I felt like I was wasting you know, you know, time downstairs because I wouldn't be able to get to enjoy the beautiful weather that we are now having here in spring. So if you heard any audio difference or you know heard a couple things in the background whether it was um the bird or you know a dog barking across the street or my you know my mother coming in the out of the house all obnoxious I do apologize for that but at the end of the day I think the studio being upstairs in the office is going to be for the better the content is going to come out much better and there'll be more of it to say the least so thank you so much so much Oh, wait, I forgot. I mentioned this earlier, and I wrote it down to, to make sure I don't forget about it. I know, I know, I was going to talk about the draft today. And I briefly, briefly alluded to it when I was talking about Edelman retiring. Patriots might have to look at a wide receiver now in the first round. I will go over the draft for the Patriots on Friday. I'm going to write it down, and I'm not going to talk about anything else. Until I talk about every point that I need to make in return to the, in terms of the draft and the Patriots in said draft. I promise. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But Friday will be there. So stay tuned for that. If you need a draft fixing, I will give it to you. I promise.
but thank you so much for joining me on Hump Day for Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. This was episode 41, and the first episode in my brand new studio up in the office. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. And as always, I will catch you in the next one. But until then, I love you. See ya. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.